There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. And it is Drive Live, and we're very pleased to be getting back into uh, Drive Live Talks Legal this afternoon. We're going to welcome uh, a gentleman we haven't seen uh, in these parts for a while. It's uh, Ali Al-Assad from Yamalaba and Plethka. How nice it is to see you. Thank you for having me, Adan. Very warm. Welcome back, uh, Ali. Lots to talk about today. Some of this quite involved, actually. I've just spent, I'll be honest with you, I've just spent the last few minutes saying to mm. Ali, how do I phrase this and what does this mean? And So we'll be unpacking uh, a number of uh, fairly complex topics. However, if you have a topic that is not so complex and you want a legal perspective, usual yeah. numbers, 4001 via the free app or 423-1010. Drive live. Talks legal. So that's your opportunity to get in touch with a real live legal expert and he's in the studio with us Ali uh, let's start with this one topic that you wanted to bring up and we'll ease you into this relatively gently rent security deposit refunds was at the top of the list today we haven't talked about this for a while but it's often an area of disagreement for obvious reasons you've lived in a place for a while and have maybe broken a few tiles you have to pay for them when you end but where is reasonable and where is not reasonable so basically the topic that uh, keep occurring around the security deposit, there's two parts. First, what should be covered in the security deposit and what should not be covered? Mm. That's th- the first part. And the second part, sometimes you have a situation where there is nothing to be covered. However, you don't get the refund, which is an unpleasant sit- situation, yeah. but it yeah. happens from time to time. Yeah. So the first one, basically, the purpose of security deposit, generally speaking, is for the landlord in the event, whenever you hand over back the property, in the event there is any damages that is a way of normal wear and tear that you have to restore and you don't restore it, the landlord have the right to deduct whatever needed from this security deposit to restore this, the flat or to the, any premises we are talking about to the previous status. That's the normal use of the security deposit. The problem starts when sometimes like you move into a flat and you, you know, let, let's face it, basically not everybody moving to a flat is moving to a brand new flat. Yeah. Majority of the time it's like five years, seven years, which means we understand that it's not in t- completely mint condition. Mm. Therefore, you, that's very normal to see that there's some kind of defects. And what we recom- highly recommend is to take notes and document it. Because, for example, you mentioned the example of broken tiles. Yeah. Whenever you walk in, there is a broken tile. In the event you don't have any do- documentation for it, whenever you are handed over back the property, the landlord, sometimes in good faith, sometimes in bad faith, he may tell you, no, it wasn't broken before. You yeah. brought it, so therefore I have to deduct it unless you fix it. So either you fix it and you pay it out of your own pocket, despite you don't have to, or alternative, if you don't do, you're not going to receive your full security deposit back. Mm. Therefore, we recommend always to have proper documentation, take pictures, put it in a report, let parties sign on it. I understand sometimes like if you face your landlord or even if the landlord face the tenant that we want to do that, they'll tell you that oh, you are delaying the matters or that's not necessary. Trust me, despite it might seem, it might appear some kind of an inconvenience at the beginning, but it will save you a lot of hassle and headache at the end. So that's what we recommend, especially whenever you are renting a furnished apartment. Because you know, mm-hmm. like with unfurnished apartment, like the problem of dispute are more narrower, but whenever there is furniture, especially if there is expensive furniture, where there is any home appliances and all this stuff, and we know these stuff from time to time are subject to damages. So what we recommend, take the time at the beginning for the uh, documentation. And this, whenever you have documentation, I'm not saying that 100% you will get the full refund or deduction will be done fairly to your deposit, but at least by having the report of documentation, in the event of dispute, you already secured your first line of defense. Because what's going to happen sometimes, let's say there is no damage or there is damage that's worth at 500 dirham and your deposit is 5,000, the lender decides to deduct 3,000 or mm-hmm. even to deduct the entire deposit. 
All what you have to do is to go to the rental dispute center and file a case. And there you will be asked to provide a proof that you didn't damage the stuff. So better to have this report in your hand to show that these stuff were already damaged from the beginning. And that's why I don't have to restore it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's good advice. But I mean, how many of us, uh, I don't know, take pictures before we move in of every area? And how can you know when you're moving into a place how arbitrary a landlord may be when it comes to giving you deposit. I mean, it's a hard one, but the, your point is, look, take pictures, keep it, document it. Should you get a sign-off from a landlord, for example? Yeah, basically, because anything that's not signed off, it's not ever uh, considered at the court, because right. it's just like a document that I can fabricate at any time. So better to have documentation with the date on it. And about the fact that uh, knowing your landlord, like unless it's a landlord that's recommended by somebody, it's a matter of luck. Because sometimes you, yeah. well, there is no way to identify how it happened usually, unless like sometimes the reputation or there is a, like a tip off from someone you know that I deal with this one, do not deal with that one. Mm. And and what about the the circumstance where the landlord suggests that you need to pay to repaint the whole property before you leave? Is that something that would be in a contract, or is that sort of discretionary? Because like. I thought I was of the understanding that maybe after a couple of years, the landlord has to look after it in terms of wear and tear. If we talk about the normal wear and tear, it should include the paint. However, if you see the practice, whenever you move in, they provide you like a freshly painted unit. So yeah. it's always as a matter of practice that you hand it over back again after you repaint it. And to avoid any dispute, better to put it as a clause in the contract that we are providing you, for example, a unit uh, freshly painted with this type of paint and that you have to do the same because even like the value of the paint sometimes may yeah defer from time to time it's not it's not cheap to paint the place i mean i know where i live there is a stipulation in the contract and it is it needs to be painted every two or every three years it's just been done actually yeah. and i know also in the contract i have to hand the property back in the same state yeah. as when i had it so i have to whitewash the walls essentially and make sure it's clean presentable for the next tenant and then they repair and in theory, dock me if I've broken any tiles or, or whatever it might be. But it is a isn't it? And we come back to this every time. Mm-hmm. But I, st- I still think it's worth reiterating that yeah. you need to read your tenancy contract because hopefully the right details are there. And so many of us just sign it and put it away, and it's very easy to forget. Yeah, exactly. That's something we always recommend. And uh, luckily, that now as we know in Dubai, we have the standard tenancy contract. So it's a standard one, but also there's a place where you can add additional terms and conditions. And these must be read like very clearly. And and whenever you are signing, either as a landlord or a tenant, don't be shy from asking questions. That's your right. Mm -hmm. Because that's something you are signing on, you are binding yourself. And this may have uh, financial repercussions or sometimes may have like Mm time-consuming repercussions. So don't be shy. Ask the question. There is nothing wrong by asking. And from there, you have a clear view. Either you sign or you refuse to sign up to the parties how they agree. Yeah. We've got a question in from Abhishek, and this was a question in from last week, and I think uh, I'm pretty sure you've seen this, and this is a question over how VAT is calculated on the sale of commercial properties. I think you've seen this mm-hmm. question in advance, uh, and Abhishek's texted it in again, but it is an interesting point, and we didn't have enough time, as is always the case uh, on this program, to get to the details, but uh, we'll ask you that in a second, because actually Alistair's just texted a question, mm. and it's to do with what we were just talking about. What constitutes, and how do you define fair, wear, and tear it's a great phrase as well if i've lived in the same place for five years uh, alistair's saying wouldn't it be reasonable to expect that a couple of things are going to break and through natural wear and tear a few broken tiles and by extension of that fact why should i be charged for it? isn't it up to a landlord to keep the property at a certain standard and if tiles are not put down properly or faulty in any way or whatever isn't that the landlord's uh issue 
So basically, to address this point, the laws does not clarify, does not provide like a clear definition of what's to be considered as a normal uh, wear and tear and what's something that needs to be restored. Right. And mm -hmm. therefore, it's uh, mainly need to be addressed in the contract. But the, if we take examples, because that's how the court will treat it in the event there's a dispute. Let's say there is like a fridge in the kitchen. Like mm -hmm. you use the flat for five years. Of course, that like after five years, even if it was provided to you like a brand new one, after five years, you're not going to hand over a new, brand new one. Mm -hmm. If we see, for example, there is like a minor scratch on the fridge, that's not something you should be restoring. However, if you if you give back the property to the landlord with a fridge that have water leak or doesn't uh, provide any cool air anymore, that's something you have to restore, especially if we see that there is something that was misused. For example, if there's a broken door of the fridge, yeah. that's something the tenant should be liable for. Yeah. While in the event, let's say the generator or let's say the motor of the fridge is not working well anymore, that's something maybe it's a cheap quality, especially then mm. that's something you should not be able, should not be bound by recovering. Someone else has just, in terms of this conversation, no name on this, but they've said, can you document damage via email? Because obviously, like you've said, keep a record of the state of the property when you move in. And then when it comes to moving out, there's less area for dispute if you've got that evidence. But can you can you document things by email? Does that, is that still valid? Yeah, basically, emails will uh, stand valid, especially now if you see the standard tenancy contract, it, it provides a field for an email. So okay. the landlord and the tenant have to uh, provide their email address, and this will be some kind of their official address. So once you send something to that email, the landlord or the like any party have very weak chance to come and say, ah, oh, that's not my email address because that's something you signed on it. Yeah. So it, it's treated as a, a yeah. legitimate yeah. way of contacting uh, it's and, and communication. It's a very good one. Yeah. We recommend always to sign, but sometimes like after you move in, you may discover stuff. Especially, for example, we know that whenever you move in, there is no utilities in the flat, basically, mm. because you, you know usually they was... Uh, as a disconnected after like you move in one two or two days you'll have the deal connected and there you may discover some stuff mm. so better in these situations i know 100 percent is not going to be possible to resign on that so better to use the email in this situation yes and also hope that you have a landlord who's reasonable and if you're a landlord yeah. hope you have reasonable tenants yeah uh, uh, because actually it happened uh, both ways because uh, sometimes like we think about like m minor stuff for example let's say you have a one bedroom or like a studio where you have a broken tile or something and usually in this situation the landlord appeared to be like on the bad side but sometimes if we t consider another scenario for example sometimes you have a showroom as a showroom that mm. maybe we are talking about marble maybe we are talking about like a lot of uh, decoration stuff that you give it back to your landlord damage that's something severe mm. that will prohibit him from re-renting and even the cost of repairing this stuff may even exceed the deposit yeah there are some amazing finishes mm. in some showrooms here, exactly. in some of the simplest showrooms as well that's reasonable to say Drive Live Talks Legal our guest is Ali Alassad he's from HPL Yamalava and Pleska Drive Live Talks legal. And we'll go to the text lines, actually. Yeah. If you have uh, something to ask Ali, text it through. Yes, any legal queries, Ali is happy to answer 4001 via the free messaging app. You've got time to get on the phone still, 423 A couple of people text in. Khan um, asks a question. It's his first time moving, so this will be good for a lot of people, really, in, in terms of advice, Ali. Um, Khan says, I want to inquire, can the landlord ask for the first rent in cash, so actual notes, um, and the rest of the rent in post-dated checks? And also, what are the things I need to consider prior to moving to a new place? Because this is the first time. And for many people, they're coming to a new system. So they're in a similar position to Khan. So basically, generally speaking, there is nothing wrong in the landlord asking for the part, first part of the rent to be paid in cash. Because cash and check, both of them are payment tool. Just the note to be considered in this regard that sometimes you might be signing with someone other than the landlord. Let's say there is an agent in the, ma in the matter. He can provide you the tenancy contract already signed by the landlord. And usually you give the check. The check is issued in the name of the landlord and you know mm. that's only the landlord can cash it. 
And even if you don't have a receipt for receiving the chat, once the chat is cleared, your bank statement will show, provide you enough proof that X person cashed this chat. So you don't have much, uh, any problem with documentation. When it comes to cash, you can receive, for example, like a receipt from the landlord or who's supposed to be the landlord. Yeah, It's a receipt that have only a signature. Somebody come and say, this is not my signature. Well, whenever they cash the chat at the bank, nobody can come and say it's not me because it went to your account. To, it went to his account if somebody mm. want to pretend that he didn't receive it. So generally speaking, there is nothing wrong in it. However, for purpose of documentation, we recommend the chats. Uh, but if you are dealing with the landlord and you see that this is the landlord, you are not dealing with any representative or any middleman. You're just dealing with the landlord and he gives you a receipt. Literally speaking, it's correct. There is no issue. Mm, and I guess the receipt, it should be detailed. It should be a tax receipt, of course, yeah. these days. Mm. Plus, it should be stipulated mm. the, the number of checks and the checks num- check numbers and dates are there. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you paid the first installment in cash. Yeah, basically, like, if there will be a slip uh, and better to be typed. So, so to avoid yeah. then, like, at least give more reliability on it later on. And provide that uh, I am the undersigned. I received X amount from X mm. person towards the rent of this unit with all this stuff, with a signature and take copy of the passport of the person so at least you can guarantee that you inspected that this is the real person and ask to see the original ID or original passport. But there's no, there's nothing to suggest that if someone says they want cash, you don't have to give it to them, really. Uh, there is no legal yeah. background to say I challenge to give it. No, there is nothing in the law that prohibits from receiving cash. But do not give the cash to anyone other than the landlord or someone who have a POA attested by the court that shows allowed to receive cash. Hmm. If this POA doesn't exist, do not pay anybody in cash other than the landlord. Yeah. It's the first time we've had that question, to be fair. So, I mean, as soon as somebody says, oh, I need, I need the first amount in cash, my personal I'm... alarm bells are, are sounding and we can see why I can't send that in. Because recently we start to see this request because what uh, some landlords are concerned about, sometimes you hand over the key of the flat, the person move in and you have checks. You don't touch the first check, it bounce. The person is already in. Okay, so th- th- this yeah. is a landlord saying, like, yeah. I need to be sure yeah. of you if you're a first time. Exactly, because right. sometimes the landlord will come and tell you, okay, give me the chat, uh, give me the chat like uh, dated like three days before moving in. Mm. The tenant may come and sound that this is unreasonable because now I'm giving you the chat, you will have the money, I don't have the keys yet. What we recommend in this regard, in the event your landlord asks for cash or for the chat in advance, like uh, prior dated, offer a manager chat. Because the manager check can be dated at the same time, same day, whenever you receive the keys. And the manager check cannot bounce. Because to apply to manager check, the bank will issue it only after they take the cash out of your account. Mm. Yeah. So this is a very reliable uh, payment tool that nobody can challenge it later. So you don't need a receipt with it even. And the landlord is secure that he's receiving the money. And the tenant is secure that he's giving the, 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 ta- the check at the time he's receiving the key. And Khan could do that. He could mm-hmm. go to the bank and say, look, can you provide me a manager's yeah, check exactly. because I've been asked for cash? And that should be as good as. Yeah, and I trust that maybe 50 dirham or 70 something in that area to to receive the manager's check. You kind of, mm-hmm. I mean, Khan, I don't know the exact circumstances, but I kind of think if if they're unhappy with a manager's check, then alarm bells would certainly be ringing for me mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. well. Because, so it's a good uh, compromise. Even the manager's check, whenever you receive it, let's say, ask copy over it, take it to the bank. Is it genuine issued by you? They can confirm it to you if somebody is concerned about like, a forged manager check or something. Okay, we're just going to stay on property uh, for one more question, Ali. This um, question, no name on this. Um, and, and it talks about a land apartment law with a 5% variation, and that's on property size. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're allowed 5%, I might mm-hmm. tell you. 
you I'm going to build these apartments and this is what I manage and by the time you've done things it comes in a little bit under um, but one company has delivered 4.9 less than the signed area so they're told maybe it was 20,000 and there's just shy of that 5% is that okay um, is it okay to do that because obviously people are paying a lot more for this space you know I might sell you a studio I might sell Tim a one bedroom and then by the time we take the 5% off the sizes aren't massively different between you two but you've Tim you've paid a lot more and if you've done that on the scale that developers work on mm. then there are cost savings to be made there to be honest, like from an investor perspective, I understand the concern because you are buying something, but for example, you are buying 100 square feet, you receive 95. However, you paid for 100. But also we need to balance it to look from the other side, which is the side of the developer, because it's like we know like map, having a flat on a map is way different than having the actual map in reality, because sometimes even like the thickness of the wall may affect the size of the area, because whenever you are measuring the net, you measure something like f- like the carpet area. Mm. So as a matter of practicality, we cannot draw and sue a developer just for having like a gap of 1% or 2%, because even like uh, financially, it may not substantiate the claim itself. Mm. Uh, somebody may come and tell you that I'm buying a massive uh, flat or say let's say it's a huge office maybe a full floor and the 5% might be something that I need to consider we recommend in this situation to put it in your contract because in g- uh, spe- generally speaking as long as within the 5% everything is fine mm. so okay. that variance is acceptable it's yeah. just it's part of the low talk about the 5% yeah. okay um, let's go to Abhishek's question here uh, Abhishek texted in last week uh, and it's clarification really on why that uh, is not to be collected if a property is rented and VAT is to be collected on the whole amount if the property is not rented. So here's the example that Abhishek put forward. A 10 million dirham property would have half a million in VAT if it's not rented. But if it's rented, it would be 5% on the rental amount. This is commercial mm-hmm. property we're talking about here, mm-hmm. not um, for the likes of URI. Um, but there is clarification on this. So basically, this uh, we heard about this stuff like a couple of weeks ago, but it was more like committed uh, in the news. We've seen news articles and th- stuff about it. But now it's confirmed. If you check the uh, FTA website, it clearly says that in the event of buying a non-rent, uh, a rented property, it's a commercial property, and mm-hmm. that's have a sitting tenant, whenever you uh, you buy it, you don't have to pay, uh, v- uh, like the buyer doesn't have to pay VAT. The exact background behind this decision, we, we are not fully aware about it yet, but that's confirmed now as per the FDA that yes, that's what will apply. Okay, so if you uh, sell your office block and mm-hmm. the tenants are in there, VAT mm-hmm. doesn't apply. But generally speaking, yeah, that's okay. The so, but if you have an empty office block, the buyer has to pay VAT. Then the buyer does have yeah. to pay VAT, and the FDA have. Uh, they have stated website, that, on yeah. website, and there is a PDF. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are uh, there is backup for that. Interesting okay. to see what that will mean for the commercial rent market. Very interesting. Quite right. And Mm. it is something that has needed clarification. Abhishek, I hope that's right. Uh, And he points out that on the rental amount, obviously that's much lower Mm. than uh, the 500,000. And that will reduce the burden of somebody who's buying uh, an office. For example, if you go and buy an office and there's a tenant inside, then basically there's a situation where you don't have to pay VAT, which is more uh, uh, like... uh, um, motivating f- to buy offices because yeah. there's an element to, of yeah. stimulus in there, isn't exactly. There? Yeah, Which because is, you, you you save five percent. Okay. Yeah. All right then. It's uh, Ali Alassad from HPL Malava and Plethkit. If you have a question for Ali, you need a legal perspective. It doesn't have to be property. It can be a whole range of different legal uh, specific pieces of advice that you're looking for. Text it through or call us. So four zero zero one usual text number via the free Dubai Messenger app. Abdul is on the line. Good afternoon, yeah. Abdul. How are you? Hi. 
Hi, good afternoon. Uh, I have a legal clarification. Sure. Uh, I signed a schedule document called a pledge agreement, uh, which is part of an SPE to grant a pledge company a security deposit of 5% in bonds in order to purchase a property in Dubai. Right. Uh, however, the pledge agreement that I signed is a schedule of an SPE, the sales purchase agreement, mm-hmm. but I didn't sign the SPE. Uh, the uh, the pledge agreement is also only in English, whereas the final version of the pledge agreement uh, is in Arabic and English within the SPE. Um, and the signatories to the pledge agreement is the same person with, which does not potentially have a POE, because I've asked for the POE and I haven't been given it. And also the person who has signed uh, the pledge agreement um, didn't date the documents. Um, and also, finally, uh, the pledge agreement um, clearly states that it is being entered into based on a reservation form. I did sign a reservation form and the SPE, but I have never agreed to the SPE. Um, so my request is, uh, because I went back to them with some clarifications, um, because the SPE couldn't be finalized, I had a number of clarifications that were outstanding. Mm-hmm. I didn't enter into the sales purchase agreement. However, the, uh, the pledge company has uh, uh, drawn the, the bond um, from the holding company, who, is, who, who, is, uh, who I paid the bond to. So my clarification is I, pro- I can prove that I requested a, a, a refund prior to uh, any um, uh, prior to, to being presented the SPE, and I still didn't sign the SPE, and I've asked for my uh, deposit back. Am I entitled to get my deposit? Okay, um, so, note, you, sorry, uh, yeah, finally, so you've paid 5%, yeah? yeah? Yeah, I've paid a 5%, correct. Right. Note, I don't have title, deed, or registration um, given to, in my name for the property. Okay, so 5% paid, and really, you're still at stage one, or pre-stage one here, aren't you? That's the question for Ali. So just, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. It, uh, yeah. Just to confirm that yeah. we understood your question properly. So basically, you signed an agreement with uh, what you call pledge, which is some kind of like a middleman, before you signed the SPA with the actual seller. Is that the scenario? That is the scenario, correct. Okay. And as per this agreement, the deposit is meant to be paid to who? To the middleman or to the seller? No, the deposit was paid to the middleman, to who, the is a, who is called a holding company, a bonds holding company. Okay. So basically here we need to see the actual wording of the agreement because of the actual word of the agreement and it says that in the event you do not proceed with signing the SPA, then yes, they may be able entitled to cash it. In the event we see that the reason for behind not proceeding with the sale is not from your side, it's more like a mistake from their side, then they have the obligation to refund it. And for that, yeah. to be honest, I, you cannot rely on an answer that I can give it to you within one minute because that's a much more complicated matter. We recommend that you send us either documents or to any lawyer to, and get a proper written legal advice over this matter after reviewing your documents. Have, have you taken okay. legal advice aside from uh, listening to Ali just there at all? No, that, this is the first time I'm asking for the legal advice because I've approached them for a refund request and they haven't been able to, to give me answers to the questions or even um, uh, go ahead and authorize the, the refund. So that's why I'm seeking legal advice right now. Okay. So this is the first time, my first time. Right. So it sounds like it is worth seeking clarification, legal clarification at least. Look, uh, sorry to hear it and all the best and I uh, hope that's helped in the, in, okay. in the slightest it, it, way. 
So can I get con- the contact number for Ali or something that I can take it offline and probably please with him? Sure. Get it, get, get, yeah, sure. thank we'll, you very we'll much. We'll keep your number and we'll come back to you, but thanks for calling. All right. Abdul. Thank you so much. Take, take care. care. Bye-bye. Uh, that's Abdul for you. It's an interesting question. Let's, uh, NLT, just go quickly to the text. Yeah, Mahmoud texts in and asks, I'm renting additional parking. Do I have to pay VAT on the rent? So we'll guess that this is um, residential. Basically, if you are renting, uh, let's say, it's less consider you are uh, increasing the rent, basically, as long as we are talking about uh, uh, residential prop- property, there is no VAT that you have to pay. Okay. Um, this question, no name on this one. Can a developer repossess a property if a buyer's paid 80% of the sale price and only 20% remaining? And this is in a in a scenario where the buyer is having trouble paying that final 20%. Basically, before uh, November 2011, it was not allowed, but uh, sorry, uh, November 2017. After 2017, there was an amendment in the law that may authorize the landlord to request this uh, like the repossession of the property. However, uh, this cannot be done automatically by the land, by the developer. The developer has to approach the land department. Land department has to issue an official certificate about the recommendations, how to proceed after mediating the dispute between the parties. And only after that, a developer might be able f- uh, p- uh, legally to repossess the unit. But this doesn't mean that you don't have a recourse later on against the developer in the event the matter will be deemed that the developer was abusive in his action. Okay, um, this query is about the chain of VAT. So bear with me on this. I have a free zone company and a federal agency bought software from a US company that I represent. The US company billed the federal agency directly for VAT. However, the US company will pay me a commission. Will the commission itself then be subject to VAT? Basically, as we understand, the commission is not uh, going to be a part of the VAT because here you are not providing service. It's not towards service or towards uh, uh, good. Basically, this is more like a financial uh, arrangement between two parties. So as long as there is no actual exchange of service or exchange of um, uh, of good, uh, you should not be t- subject to VAT unless there is an agreement between you and this company in the States that you will market their software in the UAE. Because by doing that, you are providing uh, a service because you are providing marketing service yeah in this situation the again given the fact that they are outside of the uae they, they are not uh, like the transaction itself you don't have to collect vat on it that is more like an export uh, yeah okay we've never caught you out and we never will <laughs> ali Asa from hpl yamalava and pletka uh, our legal expert today always good to see you ali really appreciate you coming in thank you so much thank you very much and it is uh, that's all the time we've got for drive live talks legal i think we got to pretty much everything aside from a couple of topics we will we, we'll hold over until next week the new yeah. arbitration law uh, and also uh, VAT application during transitional periods. So contracts that ran into January the 1st, 2018 and uh, went beyond that date. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.